The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Messages of Hope. I have so been enjoying doing this radio show. Wasn't quite sure how that was going to be doing this every week, but all of you are making it so worthwhile for me. Do you know that since our first show, we have quintupled the listenership and picking up for interest in all of Unity Online Radio? I hope that all of you will explore more of their programs because it's just an out standing platform to be part of. I try to keep my show as uplifting as possible, give you thought-provoking topics that open your mind and most of all, expand your heart, that feeling of connection that we all share. I've had the amazing, astounding week. Uh, About a week ago, a dear friend of mine who was a guest on this show recently, Brenda Bowman Baker, passed to the other side, and she has shown me what I already knew, that death is not the end, but in an astounding way, by being so incredibly present. I'm not going to get into that today, but I just want to tell you that your loved ones who have passed are as close as your thoughts, as near as your heart Your breath is their breath. It's just truly wondrous how the two worlds interconnect. Today, I have a very special guest for you, Jeffrey Olson. I met Jeff at an International Association of Near-Death Studies conference several years ago and was very taken by his story. And then I ran into him just recently at the Helping Parents Heal conference in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, because Jeff is a shining light parent. He's going to tell you all about that as he shares his story with you. But he is a best-selling author, an incredibly moving public speaker who inspires audiences all over the world with his stories of perseverance and inner strength. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's it's such an honor to be with you, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, and it's about to be the pleasure of everybody who's listening to you. Jeff, when I saw you sitting there at the table at the Helping Parents Heal conference, my heart just opened because everybody who's listening, I hope you get the chance to meet Jeffrey someday. He's so approachable. He's just the the kind of man you look at him and, and... you know, I always say, my guides say, we should walk around radiating an air of love so that people turn their heads and say, I want what they have. And Jeff, that's the way you come across to people. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. That means a lot coming from you. And uh, 
I'm simply me, but I think when we go through these things, um, you know, losing loved ones, and particularly when we get a peek into the other side and, uh, and knowing that death is not the end and knowing that we are connected not only to our loved ones but to that which is divine, it, it changes us. I mean, it certainly changed me. I will never be the same, and I, uh, I tend to think that the door never really closes all the way when we... Uh, take that peek to the other side, and I think that's the light that comes through. It has far less to do with me than the light that may be splashed in from, uh, from having that little visit with, uh, with those things that take uh, place in other realms. Well, I, I know your story very, very well. I, just, I, had re- I had read your book when I first met you, and then you have a new book called Knowing, which I just finished reading, and I recommend everybody read Jeffrey's book, but why don't you tell us about the transformational event that just changed and rocked your whole world? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, and, and um, you know, I can speak of it now. It's been 20 years uh, since the actual event, um, and it took me years before I could even uh, speak of it, uh, even in private settings, let alone publicly. But 20 years ago, I had a horrific uh, automobile accident. The entire family was in the car. We had gone down to southern Utah into the Red Rock country. And we were actually on our way back from that, uh, from that vacation. It was myself, my wife, Tamara, and my two boys, Spencer and Griffin. And I was 33 years old at the time. Uh, Tamara was 31. And our children were, Spencer was seven years old, and we had a toddler, Griffin, and he was only 14 months old. But we were, uh, we were driving home um, on the interstate, and uh, there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red pickup truck that was driving erratically on the interstate. But one of the toughest parts of the story to tell is that I believe I, um, I dozed off at the wheel J- just for a second when you just nod off. But what happened is I swerved to the right, I overcorrected to the left, and the car began to roll. Not um, off the road, but down the road. And I had the cruise control set at 75 miles an hour. So it was a high-speed, high-velocity crash. And I, uh, I blacked out for most of that, but I was incredibly conscious when the car came to a stop. And um, the first thing I heard was my seven-year-old son crying in the back seat hysterically. Now, as a father, I was, I was grateful. I'm like, oh, good, he's okay. And I had no idea what had happened. I, I simply wanted to get to my son. I, I, I didn't realize my injuries at the time, but as I attempted to move and get to him, that's when I realized I, I couldn't move. I was pinned either to the floorboard or the seat. I couldn't tell. And um, I had no idea, but both of my legs had been crushed. Uh, my left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. I had broken vertebrae in my back, but not damaged the spinal column. My right arm was nearly torn off, and then the seat belt had cut through me and ruptured all my insides. I, I had no idea. I was in that mode of, gosh, I've got to get to my son. I could hear him crying, but that's when the brutal reality hit um, that no one else was crying. And, and it was in that moment that I realized that Tamara, my wife, and Griffin, my, my youngest son, um, had passed, and uh, 
Boy, that that was the worst. Um, that was the worst hell a man could ever be in. I mean, there I was, helpless. I had a hysterical child in the back. I can imagine. I knew half the family was gone, and uh, and I was driving the car. Now I was sober and going to speed limit, but I had lost control. And boy, the guilt and the uh, the the horror of, of what had happened just it was overwhelming. And I, I, I share that not to be morbid or, or graphic, um, but it was in that darkest moment um, of my life when actually I, I felt light. Now, I wasn't quite clear what was happening. Here I was struggling with the injury, struggling to breathe, struggling to keep consciousness and wanting to get to my son who I could hear crying. I was also overwhelmed with the fact that half the family was gone. And in that dark moment, I felt light come, almost as if it, it was rushing to me. I, I felt as if I was surrounded by light, and I began to rise above the scene of the accident. Now, what I didn't realize is that my, my soul or my spirit was literally leaving my body. Uh, not only did half the family pass, but I, I died in the accident as well, and I was, I was, I was going away. But as I began to come to terms with, wow, what, you know, what's going on? Gosh, it, suddenly there was no pain. I was fine. I could breathe. I thought, what's happening? Um, and, and I seemed to be surrounded in this light. Uh, that's, that's when I realized Tamara, my wife, who I, I knew was deceased at the scene. But there she was in that light with me. And, um, huh. and she was okay. She was perfect. She was beautiful. And I... I, I don't often speak of this, but I want to touch on it today, if I can. What 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 I witnessed Please. at the scene of the accident was not was not pleasant. Um, and and to see my family in that state, um, and and Tamara, what took Tamara's life is she had she had. Um, pretty traumatic head trauma that that that's what took her life in the accident and i i was aware of that but to be in this light and and to see her at the scene of the accident and then to look upon her now and her glorious beauty and she was okay and this was the overwhelming feeling i had is she's okay mm -hmm. um you know she was fine and, and perfect and no injuries and standing there with me in this light but she was emphatic that i go back she was mad at. She's like, you've got to go back. You've got to go back. You can't be here. And now I have a, a question for you, real quickly. And I know this was a while ago, but were you aware of speaking actual words through your mouth, or was this telepathic? You know, in this circumstance, and and and, and yes, I know it was it was twenty years ago actually, but I remember it like it was yesterday. The communication was twofold. It was both. We could speak to each other verbally, but the most more powerful part of the communication was the telepathic, the nonverbal communication. But in this instance, we, we were doing both. She was saying mm -hmm. to me, you've got to go back, you can't be here. But the energy of what she was feeling and, 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 and the nonverbal communication was, was more profound. And there, there aren't words to explain that. Wow. I'm sure that that helped you in the coming days as you dealt with well, it, the, what was left after this accident. It, it, it did. And, and the interesting thing, and, and I learned a lot about choice. Boy, there I was looking at the woman 
I, I loved more than life. But I also knew I had a little seven-year-old boy crying in the backseat of that car, and, and I, I, I made a choice, and I made the choice to come back. And that, that may even been more profound, because as I did that, I, I literally found myself moving about a hospital. I, I, was, I was, you know, in, in a, what they had done, I was unaware of this, but I had been life-flighted to a level one trauma center. I had no idea. I just knew I had crashed the car and I had said the most profound goodbye I would ever say, but I did find myself moving through this, this hospital, this trauma center, and I was seeing the patients and the doctors and the nurses and the families of the patients in a most profound light. I mean, everyone I saw, I knew them perfectly. I, I knew everything about them. I knew their, their love, their hate, their joy, their peace, their apprehensions and anxieties and also their 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 confidence I, I i knew them as if i as if they were me i had this connected oneness and it didn't matter who they were it didn't matter what they had done or what they hadn't done i mean everything from the heroin addict to, to the saintly grandmother i i loved them i had this overwhelming unconditional love and, and i was seeing them in 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 perfection. I mean, I, what I say is I was seeing them as God sees us. I was seeing yeah. them through new eyes and realizing that we're all beautiful, we're all divine, and I had this, this connected feeling to them. And I, I had grown up in a Christian home. In fact, biblical verse came to me as I was looking at everybody in the hospital and thinking, wow, look, look how wonderful. The, the famous verse that said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, came to my mind. And and I thought, wow, I used to think that was a nice verse about being nice. But boy, it, this was at a whole new level. This, this was that yeah. they were me. I was them. We were connected in such a way. And, you know, the, the master who said those things, I, I, I thought, wow, he, he realized he was the beggar on the street. He was the man in prison. He was all those things because I was experiencing that in a, in a whole new light. Wow. Now, how long did that feeling last? Has it lasted until now, or do you kind of, now that you've been back here for a while, do you have to just kind of dig a little deeper to find that again? I can find it. Sometimes it happens spontaneously. Sometimes I'll be looking at someone, and I'll look them in the eye, and suddenly it's like that that veil, if you will, goes away, and I see them in this divine magnificence. But it isn't it isn't an everyday occurrence. And, um, boy, in the hospital, it was so different. It was so powerful. And, and uh, you know, of course, I was out of the body. That was one of the most interesting things. I was having this overwhelming feeling with everyone I saw until I finally came to a man or a body laying on the gurney I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was odd, and I stepped closer. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, I'm that's me. Or, or that's, that's me. my body. It wasn't me. I was having this incredible connected experience but there was the the skin suit if you will that uh, that was my body god i love that you say that because that's this whole lesson that our friend brenda i mentioned at the beginning has been teaching so many of us who knew her this week that it is just a body that we carry around and you you had that that blessing of having that experience but so what happened when you, did, did you actually feel like you slipped back inside that body well, yeah, and, and yet that was a choice, too. I mean, that's, gosh, the, 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 there's such a, a powerful message through my experience of choice, of, of us choosing, of, of the entire universe 
supporting, if you will, our our, our choices. And I I looked at that body, and it, and boy, bro, a broken mess. And I knew I was going to get back in it, and it was as easy as the choice. I mean, once I set the intention and made the conscious decision that I'm going back in, yes, I, I slipped back into the body, but I didn't have to figure it out or think about it. I simply went in. But boy, then the heaviness, the pain, the grief, the guilt, the regret, the, the trauma of the injuries, all of it came back in such a massive um heavy way and uh you know I, I was ventilated or had a respirator down my throat doing the breathing from my lungs my my lungs had collapsed in the accident and i i couldn't move both my legs were obviously immobile my right arm was immobile they eventually tied down my left arm because uh, i kept grabbing at all the equipment the iv and the, the ventilator but i i spent five uh months in the hospital I, I had 18 surgeries in total putting me back together. Mm. And, um, and, and, and yeah, but, but going back into the body was simply a choice. And then it, it's all, it almost felt like during those months I had one foot in this realm and one foot in the next. Uh, but, you know, by that time I was heavily medicated. I was on morphine and there was a lot of things happening. But, um, but boy, did I learn a lot that I learned a lot about being in the body and being out of the body and, and, and yet what a what a gift it is to be healthy and to be free and to be able to um, make choices in life. Yeah, they say that we forget, but, oh, reading your book, you did such an excellent job of not glossing over it. I mean, it was misery for you, yet the doctors say that you're a living miracle. Yeah, I, I actually... My my level one trauma doc, and this is interesting too. He uh, he became my friend. He he had an interesting experience. His name is uh, Doctor Jeff O'Driscoll. He he says that he experienced my deceased wife Tamara while they were working on me in the trauma room. Now they had you know they had five surgeons working on me in that level one trauma center, and he was he was actually kind of the attending oversight. He wasn't he wasn't. He, he, he wasn't elbow deep trying to put my insides back together. And had he been, he says he may not have the experience, but he had spiritual experiences happen even in the trauma room and in the ER there that he later shared with me. And I was so grateful it, he did because he didn't know me from Adam. But because so is this, is, this the, is this the part in the book where you say that this nurse and doctor showed up in your room as visitors several months later? Is this the same doctor? Yeah. Yep, that's the same doctor, and they shared with me those things, and so we become friends uh, that way. But, but yeah, the the uh, the doctors, he he says, yeah, we didn't think you were going to make it, and and yet here I am walking around because it simply wasn't my time, you know. I mean, it wasn't my time, and it, it's tough sometimes. People say, gosh, how could a child like your little Griffin be taken, and yet you, a thirty-year-old man, it not be your time? But I've learned yeah. that it's all in divine order, you know, that no one leaves sooner than they're meant to. And and actually, nobody comes into this world sooner than they're meant to either. There, there is no re- illegitimate. There is no untimely death. It, it feels that way to us. But everything is in divine order. And that, that was a realization I came to after, like I say, having one foot in this room and one foot in the next and having other incredible experiences that just assisted me through the process, um, 
And the grief, the grief was the heaviest injury at all. I mean, my heart was broken. I had lost my wife and my child, and that was uh, the, the physical injuries were nothing compared to that. Yes, you, you said in the book that you begged your brother to bring a gun to you in the hospital. And I know that many of my listeners have dealt with the issue of suicide of a loved one. And you've talked already about choice. You want to talk about that in relation to where you were at that place and where you where you eventually arrived? Yeah, yeah. And thank you for asking. I um, Yeah, I was in such a state. Knowing my physical body was so broken, but it was the bereavement. It was the grief of the lo- losing the loved ones. I did. I, I begged my brothers to, to smuggle me in a gun. Now, I, I, you know, I, I could have been under the influence of some of the narcotics, but to me, that was the way out. And I lost all judgment of, of suicide or someone making that choice because I, I would have done it. I would have done it, and that's how awful um, and hopeless it felt even with the beautiful experiences out of the body, I, I wanted to end it and go. And, um, and yet I had some amazing things happen in, in, at that time. I, I, I felt as if I did, you know, I, like I say, one foot in this realm, one foot in the next. But I had some incredible experiences that just gave me strength and, and bolstered me up. And, of course, my brothers would not bring a gun. I mean, I, I now look back and see how silly that was, but... I was in such a state, I thought, they, they care about me enough, they'll let me get, get out. Now, what actually happened, that, that was at the time they, they amputated my leg. And one of the beautiful things is the doctors, knowing that I was on morphine and couldn't really speak for myself, they went to family members and said, we've got to do the amputation. <laughs> and, you know, my mother cried. She couldn't sign the papers. I had been a Division One athlete. You know, everyone was heartbroken about that. What whether that's happening is my uh, my brothers. I, I'm stuck in the middle. I have an older brother and a younger brother. They both went arm in arm collectively and both signed the papers to perform the amputation. So, as I was begging them to bring a gun so I could end my life, they literally signed the papers to uh, to take the leg and and save my life. And um, at this point, 20 years after the fact, as I've Gosh, I've, uh, life has moved on. I got a prosthetic limb. I learned to walk. I've been able to raise my surviving son, Spencer. I fell in love again. I remarried. We adopted children and have raised two boys that I don't even like calling my adopted sons. They're simply my sons. When I look at the gift that life has been, um, in spite of all of it, I... I uh, I, I just have nothing but gratitude. But that, yeah, that was a very dark time, and I lost all judgment of suicide because I, I would have gone there. I, I was there. Sure, and I think that's understandable to anybody who, who listens, and especially you, you, you knew what wait awaited you on the other side, but, but it was your son that kept you here, and luckily, uh, the, you're still here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that that, now, was big, that was a big pull. I, I I knew I had a child that uh, that needed a dad, so that was the big motivation in sticking around. And look at the difference you've made in this world since then. I, I know that you're you're aware of that, but uh, your books and your work. We'll talk uh, after the break about the the organization that you've recent, recently started. But before we go to break, there was one phrase that jumped out at me about what you heard when you were on the other side. You called it a very profound question that seemed to come from God. 
Do you remember what that question was? Yes. I'll, I'll never forget that question. And the question was this. I, can, I could quote it. I was asked, to what degree have I learned to love? And, and, you know, that came on the heels of seeing all these people in the hospital in this, in this new, profound light. And, and obviously, I loved my wife. I loved my children. I, I, I loved my life. But there was a new level of love, a love that is unconditional, a love that is so profound and divine that, that there aren't words. I mean, we say love, but I'm talking about that thing behind the word, that thing that is so powerful that... Uh, that really heals everything. But that was the question. To what degree have you learned to love? And, uh, and I'm still learning that. And it's a beautiful journey. Uh, and it's yet I think so that's powerful. the to all of life. Yeah. And when I talk to my guides, Anaya, and when I talk to those I bring through in readings, they speak of the same thing, that when they cross the veil, they're met by their guides. And the first question they ask is, what have you brought us? Meaning in the way of the love that you shared while you were here. So all of us have a a responsibility, as I see it, to learn to love, to express that love. And I love that you heard that. Yeah. And, and, And it's been interesting over the years, too, because, you know, people will say, even my doctors, well, gosh, you must have been spared for some profound, you know, reason for to make a difference in the world, and yet I'll, I'll tell you the, the little things are the big things. I mean, when we talk about this overwhelming, unconditional love, I mean, it's it manifest in, in, you know, holding my wife's hand or, or playing catch with my sons. I mean, the little things, the little random acts of kindness and, and the, the small gestures we do to assist each other through this crazy process of life, those are the big things on the other side, and those are the things that make all the difference when you look at it from a much higher perspective. I I love that you said that because I wrote down a quote from your book. You wrote, looking for happiness in big things leaves me empty. Embracing life's beautiful little miracles fills my heart with joy and gratitude. And so, so many people who are listening, we're all on the spiritual path together, and we think that we have to go out and, and make big changes and heal lots of people and change the world when really our opportunities to make a difference in this world by loving, it, they take place moment to moment in every interaction we have, and you're an example of that. So, I'm talking today with Olson, Jeffrey Olson, will talk more about his organization at onenow.com. When we come back after the break, we're going to take a short break here and continue talking with Jeff about what he learned on his visits to the other side. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. 
This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. It's not about all the rules that you have in, in other churches. And just come and visit one time and see what you think. When I first walked in the door here, I knew nothing about it. They had a slogan on the wall that said, One God, Many Paths. And that kind of made me listen harder for quite a while. And everything I heard was consistent with that, which meant this wasn't like any church I'd been to before. And it just keeps, keeps unfolding. The big lesson, there are so many, but the big lesson is to trust, to have faith, to meditate, and to be open to learning and seeing the world in very diverse perspectives. Find out more. Visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 1-800-NOW-PRAY. If you could talk to an angel, what would you say? Join Jerry Gavin every Monday at 5 p.m. Central for Angelic Connection. Jerry shares messages from his guardian angel, Margaret, in combination with ancient healing practices to teach people how to listen to their spirit. Jerry can help you strengthen your connection to the angelic realm and receive clear messages of help and healing. Call in and join the show every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher who is loved by so many people left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking today with Jeffrey Olson. He is an author, inspirational speaker, and he's on that path, unfortunately, as the result of an automobile accident 20 years ago, which took the physical life of his wife, Tamara, and his toddler son, Griffin. Uh, he and his other son, Spencer, have uh, have been enjoying life together with Jeff's New wife, Tanya, he married years later, but boy, she was like a miracle to you, wasn't she, Jeff, the way she understood what you needed and and oh, where yeah. you are now? Yeah, 
you know, I, I, I was so heartbroken. I thought I can never love again. And, and yet I was a young man. It was probably silly for me to, to believe this, but I believed I would never remarry. I would raise my son on my own. And, and yet Tanya came into our lives in such a beautiful, profound way. And she, um, She's been what I call an earth angel, you know, being very uh, honoring of, of, of me and of Spencer. And we've adopted children and we've, we've created a family. And Tanya is the glue that holds all that together. She's an amazing, powerful and beautiful soul. Now, I had the feeling reading your book that Tamara had a role in that, kind of brought you two together. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it, it's it's interesting. People like yourself, when they're around me and when they're with Tanya and I together, they often will have Tamara come through in spirit, saying, "I'm the one that put that together. I I, I brought this to be." But but yeah, it was very interesting. Um, and and I had powerful experiences where where Tamara, my my, I, I don't even call her my deceased wife. I call her my angelic wife because she's alive <laughs> and well. But. But she let well, me know that uh, that Tanya was a gift, and that and that she was involved in us coming together, and that she wanted me to choose joy. She wanted me to be happy and to have a life and to be with someone. This is really funny, Jeff, because I have some a whole bunch of notes I made from your book, and I knew exactly what the next three questions were going to be out of my mouth when we came back after break. And all of a sudden, I'm Tanya's name is not written here anywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm asking this question and talking about her, and I'm. I'm saying, what is going on here? And I swear, it's like Tamara just grabbed me and said, you need to let other people know there can be joy after a spouse passes, that we're meant to be happy again. And yes, I did that. So I think I was just hijacked. <laughs> yeah, she does that. She's uh, she's very active. And uh, gosh, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I've had a lot of pain and loss in my life, but I'm the luckiest, I'm the luckiest man alive to have... Uh, to have found love twice, you know, and, and with two different individuals, but but in a very beautiful and profound way. And, and there is joy after losing a spouse. I, I you know, the, the love I have for, for Tamara, my, my first wife, will always be there. It will always yeah. be profound. And yet I love Tanya in such a huge way, too. There's no limit to love. That's, that's, that's the it. key. And, and, and you know, the, the beautiful thing is that Tanya has been so mature about it. I mean, she knew I was heartbroken, and, and yet she's always honored the fact. In fact, it was, it was funny when, when we became serious, you know, when I thought, gosh, I'm falling in love with, with Tanya, and, and yet I had talked to her about how much I missed Tamara and how hard it was and how much I loved her, and I thought this is really strange, and yet Tanya said to me, uh, what, what had happened is I began to take some of the photos of camera down in the house and and tanya said why are you doing that and i said well out of respect for you and and us and our relationship and we're going to be married and and tanya said don't you dare take those Mm -hmm. pictures down you know she said spencer deserves a picture of his mother and she also said jeff (laughs) knowing that you loved her at that level that, that's half the attraction. And, and we laugh, you know, Tanya's a beautiful woman. She said, Jeff, I, I, I have other options than a one-legged man with a son, <laughs> you know, but she said, <laughs> no, no, knowing that you can love at that level is, is part of, that, that's part of what makes you wonderful. And I'm not threatened by, by someone who's passed or by the fact that you were in love with your wife. That's, 
endearing to me, and she's a very, very uh, powerful soul that way. Wow. So I, it sounds to me like you need to call her also your, your angelic wife. But uh, uh, Yeah, I, I've got two of them. I've yeah, one on on that that end and this end, but there is joy after, and 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 here again, it's always you know it's a different relationship, it's a it's a different love, but as I said, there's no limit to it. You can find joy, and and I I can't say any more powerfully. I gosh, I hit on this in the book. Our loved ones, when they're on the other side, they want us to be happy. They want us to be surrounded by. By folks. In fact, Tamara let me know from the other side that I was holding her hostage in my pain and my sorrow and my grief. That that yeah. that she was connected, and that literally, um, as I hurt and as I refused to move on, that I was literally holding her back as well because she loved me still as well. What a perfect message! Now. I know that part of your grief, a big part of it, is that you were at the wheel of the car. So. Would you touch on self-forgiveness and how you dealt with that? Oh boy! Yes, and that and that took that took a decade. I mean, I I will be honest. I had so much guilt, and it would still come up, thinking, "But I was driving the car. Is this my fault? I dozed off at the wheel. How on earth, you know, do I do that?" And Spencer, my surviving son, when he would struggle in his adolescent years, I, I would have those pings of guilt come back, thinking, boy, did I ruin his life by crashing the car. And um, the big message to me is forgiveness. I mean, wow, what a huge thing. And, and I'm very quick to forgive others, but what I learned is that I'm very slow to forgive myself. And mm-hmm. certainly this is nothing I would have ever done on purpose. I didn't want the accident to happen. And getting to that point of self-forgiveness um, was where the healing really took place. And like I say, it took, it took a decade. It took 10 years, and I had profound things happen. But when I finally realized that even that was in divine order and that there was no reason to blame or find fault, that I could, I could let go and trust, and that's my big word, trust, that everything was meant to be and that I, my only freedom would be in forgiving myself and, and moving on. Suddenly, everything around me began to heal, too. Spencer did better. Everyone around me did better when I let go of mm-hmm. the, the, the guilt and, um, and holding myself responsible. And, and I could be accountable. I know what happened. But trusting that everything's in divine order, that no one really passes, that we're all connected and all is well, and by forgiving myself is where the healing began. Beautiful. Now, you beautifully shared your your experience across the veil at the time of the accident, but you've had more than that initial uh, transformative event or a near-death experience and then spiritually transformative experiences. Would you share one or two of those? Oh, I would, I would love to. Um, as I said, it, it felt like in the hospital I had one foot in this realm and one foot in the next, and I had a profound thing at the end of my hospital stay. And, you know, I mean, in, in, a, in a show like this, we don't have to get too far into it, but, you know, there are there are folks who have said, well, it's interesting, Jeff, that you had your two most profound experiences at the scene of the accident and at the end of your hospital stay when you were not on narcotics and you were not, you know, under the influence of morphine or anything else. And I think that's relevant. But at the end of my hospital stay, 
I did get to cross into the other realm again and say goodbye to my toddler son. And that was a beautiful experience because I got to hold him, and it felt very physical. He was still a toddler in the experience, but I believe that's because the universe is that kind. Yes. Boy, God God knew that, um, and I, I still get emotional, but God, God knew I just needed to hold my little boy. And, um, and I was given that opportunity. And as I held my son, um, I actually felt an overwhelming presence come up behind us. And I was held by, by the divine. I, I, felt, I felt almost like physical arms wrapped around me. And I had a huge download about things being in divine order and things, uh, my life being a gift, not a test. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up, like I say, a conservative Christian home where life was a test and I was probably failing and God was going to judge me. And yet here I was holding my son and I did have those pings of guilt thinking I was driving the car that took this little boy's life. And as I had the thought, I hope I'm forgiven. That's when I felt those divine arms wrap around me and said, there's nothing to forgive. Everything is in pure divine order. This is all part of your soul's journey and, and, and what you came here into this realm to learn. And, and that's continued. That was at the end of my hospital stay. I, I had a dream, and I don't even want to say dream. I'll call it a vision. I, I had a vision yeah. recently, which was interesting because um, in, in this dream, if you will, or in this experience, I found myself sitting on the front seat of my father's old pickup truck. Now, I grew up on a farm, and my dad drove an old pickup, but I was sitting on the seat of the pickup truck, and I looked down, and I was wearing a red corduroy jumpsuit, and it was the kind that snapped <laughs> on the inner thigh like a toddler would wear. And I thought, well, gosh, I remember this jump. I hated this jumpsuit, and I looked at my feet, and I had both and I had toddler shoes on, and I thought, gosh, I remember those shoes. I remember this. I remember the truck. I remember this silly outfit. I couldn't have been any more than 14 months old. And that's when I realized, wow, that's the age of Griffin. And I, as, I, as I had that thought, um, you know, the truck, the jumpsuit, all of that went away. And at this point, Griffin came to me as a grown young man, you know, appeared to be in his early 20s, which he wouldn't have been. This, this took place, I, Gr Griffin would be 22 years old today, but he appeared in this dream as a, as a full-grown young man. And he had a profound thing. And this was interesting because as I saw him, I wanted to rush to him. <laughs> but I was, I was held back. But this is where you, you brought up the non-verbal, the telepathic communication. He communicated so much to me about he wanted me to remember, you know, me being a toddler because he wanted me to know that he would never forget being my little boy in this realm and that he would never forget having me as a dad, that that connection was never going to go away, even though he passed early on and even though he was now this magnificent, you know, angelic-looking man in, in the other realms. But as he connected that way, I, 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 I was able to rush to him. I just wanted to hug him, and I did. And I, I, I hugged him, and I began to weep. And then he did whisper in my ear, and I did hear this verbally. He leaned into my ear. He, he was taller than me and stronger, and 
He leaned in my ear and he said, Dad, I have a message for you. And of course, I thought, wow, a message from my little boy from the other side. And then what he said is he said, Dad, I I love you and I'm proud of you. And uh, I thought, wow, what more profound message than that? You know, I I was expecting some big, huge message from the other side. And yet, once again, it's the little things that are big. There was nothing yeah, that could be that, more to me and that could be more intimate than that. It's beautiful. Now, there are so many people listening. I don't think any of us escape life in human form unscathed. And we all have our challenges. And yours are just, yours were profound. Uh, you asked the question, how could God, who you believed was a loving father, put you or anyone through such an ordeal? What is the answer that's come to you after being through your ordeal? Oh, that's that's a beautiful question, Suzanne. And 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 the 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 thing that shifted for me is I began to realize that God didn't do this to me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I had some really big shifts in my heart in that I had planned it. I had chosen it. I had come here to experience what I experienced for the growth of my soul, and God, in his unconditional love, supported it and said, of course, you can have that, you can do that. I, I used to believe that, um, you know, that God did things to us and tested us and wanted to see how we reacted. What I realized is God loves us, and we, we take part in, in, in creating our life and the experience. And... It is for the growth of our soul. Um, if, if I was to change the language, I wouldn't say that God did this to me. I would say God supported it and did it for me because I learned things I could have I could have learned in no other way. I mean, there, there, my soul has expanded in ways, and 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 I know we live on. We don't die and just go. We we die, and 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 I I feel I'll get to bring all this wisdom and all this experience with me. And therefore, I'll have more compassion, more love, and 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 more more wisdom, just based on the fact that the entire universe supported my life. And as you said, we all have our challenges. We all have the perfect journey to uh, to teach us what we came here to experience, and then to take the wisdom from it and be more enlightened beings. Yeah. And and you say in your book that compassion is what you learned the most. How how would you define compassion? You know, compassion to me is it's it's pure empathy. I mean, it, it's empathy. Um, it's knowing not exactly how someone feels, but relating to their emotions. Um, you know, emotions are the universal human language. We, we all have different diverse experiences. We have different belief systems. We have different cultures. But our emotions are universal. And, and compassion to me is, is, is feeling after someone who's hurting or who's joyful or, or knowing what that is and, and being able to support and, and, um, and be there even if I don't know what it's like to be them. In other words, oh. gosh, I, I I see someone in a wheelchair. I've got a dear friend, uh, Chad Hymas, who's he, he's a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, and I I did that for a little while, so I have some empathy. Um, I I I I'm, I walk now. 
you know, I walk on one leg, but gosh, I put my arms around him and I have more compassion. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, boy, he, you know, he's a powerful, he's a powerful man. The, the wheelchair does I, not hold his soul back at all from shining. I love how you focus on the emotional aspect of compassion and bring in the point that we don't have to think alike. And because we don't, all of us, we all have, we're all here with our different belief systems. But if you go to the feeling aspect that's beyond the thoughts, that's where the compassion comes. Now, Jeff, this is so perfect because you, you're the second male guest I've had on in a row here. And most of my listeners are women, but I love that more and more men are opening up to this emotional side. And you wrote in your book, you learned a lot about, quote, real men in those times when you were at your lowest. The, the difference, the bringing toughness and tenderness together. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about men and their emotions and how you've changed or what this this whole life story that you chose has taught you about being a real man wow <laughs> thank you yeah um gosh i was I, I grew up on a farm with a single father and and you know real men didn't cry you swallowed down your emotions you were a tough guy i was a division one athlete and a competitor and and a red personality to go and win and and all of these things and um one of the poignant moments, and, and my, my brothers are the same way, by the way. I'm very close to my brothers, and uh, my older brother, he, he's in law enforcement and now retired from that and became a full-time firefighter. He's an adrenaline junkie, and my younger brother is a is an attorney, a very talented one, and we played football together and, and all of that. But there was a point in the hospital, and I'll, I'll touch on it briefly, but the, the abdominal wounds where the seatbelt had cut through me there was intense infections and they had to leave the wounds open to heal and there was all kinds of packing they would pack gauze in there then strip the gauze out every day it was part of the, uh. the healing and um it was horrifically painful and it was not pleasant and and at one point <laughs> the, 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 one of the nurses actually became sick and was vomiting because she's having to stick her hands up in my guts and pack it full of gauze and and my uh, my my brother was there, and um, he's a tough guy, and he's also a trained EMT. He said, "You know what?" He said, "Let let me do it." He told the nurse, "I I can do this. I know what to do." And he began to pack my wounds to to pack that stick that gauze up into the open cavity in my in my belly. And I was wincing, and of course he's talking to me. Uh, he's talking to me as a man talks to a man. I won't use that language on your on your show. But he's like, you know, calm down, stay still, and uh, and you'll relate. Our, our father was a. He's a. My father is a retired lieutenant colonel in the army. So we 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 talk to each other, you know, in in, in male tones. But as I'm wincing, and he's giving me tough talk to stop, you know, stop wincing, man up. I happened to just look up and um, and see his face, and he had tears running down his cheeks. Wow! As he as yeah. he packed the wounds of his little brother, you know, telling me to man up and and stop wincing, and I, and I realized in that moment that men are we're meant to 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 have each other's back, to mentor each other, to to strengthen each other, to support each other. And to be there for each other, even in the moments when we have to cry. And I cry easily now, and I'm not a, I'm not ashamed to let tears flow and to feel my emotions. And I've realized when men can do that and become gentle men, 
that's when we're the most powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, if, if we could do that, we we wouldn't have wars in this world. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be at odds with each other. We we could literally create heaven on earth if if we yeah. got in touch with our divine selves and and became connected. We we would change the world. Beautiful. You learned in the hospital to see beyond appearance of those who were caring for you, and so definitely become more empathetic. Um, do you still feel people at that level? You've... I I do, I do. Um, yeah, you know, like I say, it's not an everyday occurrence. But boy, all it takes is a moment just to stop for a minute and look at someone. You know, I mean, I. I had a homeless guy come up once, and he was asking for money, and, and, and spirit just seemed to say, just look at him. Hmm. And, and I was rushing. I was trying to get away and get home, and, and, and I just stopped and looked him in the eyes. And, you know, eyes are the window to the soul. <laughs> that, that is a fact. Yeah. yeah. And as I looked at him, all of a sudden, gosh, he wasn't a homeless man. He was my brother. He, he was my father. He was me. I mean, suddenly that, that, that veil lifted, and I saw him in a different light. And it was interesting because he began to tear up, and, and, I, and I just hugged him. I just hugged wow. this, this stranger, and he hugged me back. And it was interesting. I, I said to him, and I didn't even think about saying it. Just, it just came out of my mouth. I said, I know who you are. And he oh. said back to me, I, I know you know. And then suddenly we pulled back, and here we were, you know, two guys hugging each other, bawling on the city streets of Salt Lake City, and uh, suddenly he didn't need any money. He just wanted to be acknowledged, and I would have given him everything in my wallet. But that was the connection. It's as easy as taking a step back and looking on the soul, looking on the heart, and realizing that we're all far more alike than we are different. And this is why I'm so grateful for you sharing your story with us, because we don't need to go through the the pain, the agony, the physical loss, and the loss of your family members that you did to get to that point. We can we can start to awaken just by hearing stories like yours, Jeff. And just we we just have a few minutes left here, but I was so heartened by the fact that one of the ways you were lifted out of your suffering was by taking the focus off of yourself. Would you share a little bit about that? Well, yeah, and, 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 and you know, gosh, I, I, I was having such a pity party, and, and, and for good reason. You know, I mean, sure. gosh, I'd lost sure. my family, I'd lost my leg, but I simply found if I would focus on what can I do for someone else, and, and it's interesting, and, and, and Suzanne, you probably get this a lot, people say to me, how can I connect with spirit? How can I connect with the yes. divine? How can I connect with my loved ones who have passed? I tell them this simple thing. I say, rather than praying about yourself and what you want, (laughs) you know, prayer, meditation, whatever you want to call it, simply ask, what can I do for someone else today? And watch how the messages come flowing in. You'll know in your heart immediately who you can go to, what you can say, or even if it's just to to be in their presence and cheer them up. When we ask to uh, serve others, the answers flow and Suddenly, life is far more joyful when we're outward focused and doing things for other people. That—that's what brings us through any tough time. Beautiful. 
Now, with just about a minute to go here, I just want to quickly tell how your son Spencer watched you have these these transformative experiences, but he didn't feel the same connection that you did. And as a father, you wanted him to have that, but you just kind of held back, and eventually he did have it. So you learned that everything happens to each person at their own time, at the right time, on their own timeline. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted him to have the experiences, the dreams, and he didn't. And and I was worried about that. And yet I prayed about it. And God told me, "Stop judging your son. His 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 process and his life is perfect, and his experience is perfect for him. Your job, Dad, is to love him unconditionally and stop thinking that it would be different or better if he had your life or your experience. So, and he's a magnificent man. He's found his own way on his own terms, and that's what makes it powerful. Well, this has been a powerful show, Jeff. You're you're just a you're a force to be reckoned with in in the positive way. I can I hope that everybody can feel the love that just oozes out of you. I think if we were to give a title to this talk today, it would be choosing joy, choosing joy. And I thank you for being our guest. And people check out Jeff's story at at one now. That's a t o n e n o w dot com. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. Such an honor. I send my love. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.